0: Hello and welcome to Switch It. In the week that Ben Stokes' movie came out, the England Test captain proved he was still box office in the day job. South Africa, who had won the first Test by an innings, were relegated to the status of extras as England levelled the series, and Dean Elgar might yet pick up a razzie for his decision to bat at the toss. It was worth getting the popcorn in for another three-day finish, which sets the trilogy up nicely for a decider at the Oval. It's been the summer of the Test blockbuster, and joining me to review the latest instalment of two of ESPN Quick Invo's most discerning critics. Our own Commode and Mayo, you might say. <laughs> UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Vish Hantaraja. Uh, good to see you chaps. Miller, um, the worry about Stokes becoming captain was that he would take on too much of a burden and his 14 over spell with the old ball on day three certainly does nothing to discourage that thought, uh, but results so far are not to be sniffed at
1: not to be sniffed at. Uh, as we were discussing just before the show began, obviously everyone's watching or in the process of watching uh, Ben Stokes' uh, documentary and as Vish just pointed out, basically the first hour of the documentary is all of his teammates just repeating the word, he is a beast. He's a beast. He's just a beast. He's an absolute beast. Complete beast. <laughs> and he's a beast. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. 14, 14 over spell, absolutely critical spell that, you know, it wasn't critical insofar as England weren't losing the game, weren't going to start losing the game if they didn't take wickets at that moment. But He sized up the situation, recognized, right, we've got this many overs until the new ball. There's no point in asking my frontline seamers to do the donkey work. You know, as my former colleague, George de Bell would have written back in the day, you know, James Anderson is a Lamborghini laden with scaffolding at the best of times under the old regime. But no, now he's being really primed to be an attacking bowler. He said afterwards, you know, he's never been a more attacking leader of the attack. And part of that is because Stokes is willing to put in the donkey work that previously would have been thrown on on, on the, the, the more cutting edge members of the side. And now that's not to say that Stokes isn't himself cutting edge. I think we all know that, you know, when he pitches the ball up and swings it, uh, such as it was six for 22, wasn't it, against, uh, against West Indies one time? And uh, like he, he wrapped up that test where Broad took eight for 15 in Anderson's absence as well. You know, he, he can be a proper frontline attacking swing bowler, but... What he did in that spell, either side of T was just slow the game up first, in the first instance and then blast out the two main, remaining resistances in, in, in that post T period. Um, he did the absolute needful. Um, whether, it's, whether he's putting too much burden on himself is debatable. What he is doing, though, is he's choosing the moments in which, you know what, this is the moment that I am going to throw everything at this. And then some days, you know, he won't bowl for, won't bowl for way overdue. Some people were saying, well, where's Stokes? Is he injured? And, no, he's not injured, he just thinks someone else is better better at doing the job today. It's a, he's a very selfless, uh, very selfless leader in every sense of the word. In that sense.
0: There was uh, Headingley, I think, when he decided not to bowl, uh, just so that the, the other guys could, you know, get the job done themselves and feel good about it, which I'm sure Stuart Broad appreciated after <laughs> 30 or 40 overs or something. Um, Bish, you're obviously in the commode role here because of the hair. Right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll take that. Yeah. Um, He looks good. You look good. (laughs) Who is writing Ben Stokes' scripts? Um, And this is a trickier one. Which performance was more significant, Uh, the standard superhero part at Old Trafford or playing himself in Phoenix from the Ashes?
2: Uh, Who's writing his scripts? Uh, Certainly not Sam Mendes. We were told explicitly that Sam Mendes wasn't... He was just there to talk to him. And... um, yeah, skewer through a few out of the middle if you've... I've spoiled the end of the movie, but um, <laughs> there's quite a comedic bit at the end where you realise we're all just fanboys, essentially, even someone who can come up with American Beauty. Um, and what was your next question? You, you asked me who... Uh,
0: well, obviously, this was a significant performance, Man on that yes, performance, yeah, yeah, yeah. levelling the series. But, um, I mean, well, arguably the things Stokes talked about talks about in, this, in the, uh, the documentary and then subsequently in One on One with Yourself as well um have have embraced wider themes
2: yeah well I, I think it's obviously the most natural role he's played in the last uh, in the last year or so <laughs> i think back to when there was talk of moving on from joe root because you know his time had come well before it actually came and to me ben soaks was always the person who was going to be captain and i wasn't so much worried about the you know the idea that he might lose a bit of himself by being captain by having a bit more responsibility therefore being less of a renegade on the field and you know not necessarily being able to judge where he would bring himself on or how he would bat and this test was a great example eventually I suppose you know what is it six tests is it six six tests it's yeah six tests into the summer or rather into his tenure under McCullum, that that wasn't a problem at all. And that maybe it's taken that time to find the right balance. But even then, when he, talk, he talked about it, you know, in, before this previous test, actually, in Manchester, about how the reason he bats so cavalier is that he wants to set an example. He wants to basically be the canary down the mine. And I kind of made the point before the match that it's a bit useless having him as the canary when he's the one who usually digs up the gold. And he, he even said that, maybe one day I'll, I t- I'll tailor it. And it just happened that that was two days later in the way that he batted, and he batted brilliantly well. Um, I also think it ties into everything he talks about in the movie in terms of, he's got quite an addictive personality. You know, when he came back from Bristol, he was addicted to fitness. And now he's addicted to captaincy. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, especially someone who's already taken himself out of different areas. So retiring from ODIs, I'm genuinely fascinated to see what happens around this time next year, when there is more of a pull on him in the t 20 leagues. I think he has um a, an incredible relationship with his IPR franchise where he can choose not to play the one just gone and, and have that as something that they totally respect. Um because of how much I think he gave them during COVID. I think that's that's recognized by Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. Um but going forward, you know, there are there are just gonna be more players and and suddenly, you know, you don't become Ben Stokes. Superstar, you become one of many superstars, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. But it's clear that captaincy means so much to him. It's clear that he thinks about it all the time. He spoke of um, Ollie Robinson took the new wall ahead head of Stuart Broad. He, he mentioned that to Stuart Broad on the way back from a golf course. Um, he I don't play golf. After a round of golf, even, um, the day before the test. and just They, they to... do
0: go back from the golf course. No, I suppose they, they, they do, don't they? Got, golf, you've I got to leave yeah. eventually. You've you, um, you not left yourself a bit too amateur there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but um, I thought it was really interesting that he decided that that was the time to do it. It probably wasn't a convenient... Sorry, it probably wasn't <laughs> by coincidence that him and Broad were in the car, you know, coming back. There was probably a reason they had this chat. And I, mm. I think, you know, I found out the other day that you know, around Zach Crawley, him and Brendan McCullum, the whole teamwork went off to this golf trip and him and Brendan McCullum organised it so that they would be in a three ball with Zach Crawley. By coincidence. Um, (laughs) So he's clearly thinking about it off the field as well in in different areas and it's made him an exceptional captain. And I'll probably be speaking too early here um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to be reflected in his numbers in terms of his win ratio or series wins, perhaps by the end of his tenure. But I think if you look at the influence he is already having on these players, he might be one of the most important captains England have had, maybe since NASA in terms of what he's doing off the field, and certainly what he's doing that filters down to the rest of the game.
0: Yes, uh, he liked that comparison uh, earlier in the summer when Ian Ward put it to you know, <laughs> you know, make it like NASA making harder to beat, not really his thing. Um, <laughs> we we heard um, Miller during during the tests. I think it was Mike Aston on commentary talking about. Um, stokes's uh, inspirations uh, and where he'd kind of reading or watching he'd done to that kind of learn about the role apparently the uh, brad pitt character from the film fury um is is one in particular that stokes draws on um it must be is, nice to think of yourself as brad pitt <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice. just coincidence just happens yeah. to be you know um best looking guy in hollywood um he is a tank commander who ends up dead, attempting an impossible job against overwhelming odds, but who nevertheless ends up inspiring a member of the next generation. So, you know, fitting. Um, I mean, who doesn't but, want to inspire the next generation?
1: That's basically England's <laughs> mantra since the 2019 World Cup. So,
0: um, sticking with the war theme, this innings was has already touched on—far less kamikaze than we've uh, come to expect in the summer of Stokes and McCullum. A, a measured hundred, you know, doing. Uh, perhaps what he does best, you know, taking time to get himself in, um, 158 balls uh, to bring up three, fig- three figures, uh, nothing like the sort of Bairstow blitzes we've been accustomed to. Um, and it was, you know, England's chances were all the better for it because the, the captain had set the tone in this way.
1: Absolutely, I, I mean, you know, all the all the talk of basball, the, the misappropriation of the word um, is, d- dilutes the, 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 the sound logic Behind everything England are trying to do, and basically everything they're trying to do this summer is find the best way to win. What is the best way to win from any given situation? The best way to win when you bowl a side out in 52 overs on the first day of a Test match is to bat them out of the game. I mean, there's you know everything England did was a positive option. Even after Zach Crawley batting <coughs> within himself and positively leaving the ball outside in that channel outside off, it was the right thing to do because the longer they stayed out there, the longer Crawley stayed out there, the longer. South Africa had to toil. The more they put into extra spells, it sounds old, old-fashioned cricket, but it really wasn't. Thanks to the fact that you know they were, they were so far ahead of the game by blitzing South Africa's batting on that first morning. So when Stokes arrives, yes, he is given an opportunity to, to chill, to 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 not feel frenetic, not feel as though he's he's, he's got to set the tone because the tone had already been set. Frankly, uh, he'd set the tone with his, you know, the way his bowling bowling change you have already mentioned. Ollie Robinson taking taking the new ball backed up by excellent fields, you know, second innings as well. You had the silly mid-ons and silly mid-off in place. Funky fields that, that really enhance the possibility of England taking 10 wickets, which is every bit as important to England's prospects as as batting well or quickly as, as has been in previous tests. I mean, that, 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 is, that really is the fundamental point. It, 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 this, this complete team ethos means that whatever facet of the team does best, the other facet sort of um, fits in around it, and and that I think is kind of what we saw in this game. It, you know, it, you can you can sort of say has the, has the has it all blown over or are England relaxing? I don't think they're relaxing at all. I think you know next week it may be a case that uh, I don't know South Africa bat better batting first, say put 350, 400 on the board. You'll see a different response from England, a realisation perhaps that they need to get level more forcefully. And then take it to the fourth innings. This time, they just they didn't have to. They just moseyed along. So like, you know what? We we're just all day long. We've got three whole days ahead of us, and they and you know they're going to be going into bat this evening. Um, easy peasy. It, 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 they could they could yeah just take 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 it take it slow for a change.
0: I and mean, South Africa su- succeeded in one respect that, that you know England didn't pull off a fourth innings chase this time. <laughs> um, but this is perhaps a slightly more nuanced version of Ball. Um but are we overlooking the fact here that um, Dean Elgar completely sucked himself out of the toss and um, refused to do the thing that England would have least wanted, which is to be inserted and have to set the pace uh, under cloudy grey skies as they had the week before uh, and capitulated?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really smacked with the fact that the team selection was made before all the toss, and it was, you know, it, it was set in stone essentially because the reason he, you know picking Harmer and. Alongside Keshav Maharaj, meant that they had to bo- they had to bat fourth, didn't they? Mm. So, so they, you know, they had to bat first. Um, so they had to bowl. England bowl had fourth. to bat fourth, yeah, yeah and yeah. they wanted to bowl, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was it was absurd because to be there on that day, you just knew it was a bowling morning, <laughs> and it was almost it felt a li- maybe a little bit like a power play, but then evidently <laughs> not because of how they uh, you know how they went about their business and. It was very strange very strange, and very unnecessary as well. Even, you know, dropping Marco Janssen, considering the test that he had mm. at Lord, it really felt like, and even out of context, you think you've got the tallest man in the world who bowls left arm and, you know, hits sixes for fun. Play him. You've got <laughs> to play him, surely. Uh, so he, I, I think he spoke well at the end of the game. I think it would have been quite easy to, I suppose, you know, put the shutters up even more. I think the thing I really respect about Elgar is that even when things go badly. It's never quite a smile, but he does have a bit of charm about him where it resonates, you know, beyond, I suppose, the press conference. You know, the player's going to listen to his words and he made some real pointed remarks to that that middle order, specifically Aiden Markram. And maybe Markham comes out, but with the injury to Rassi Van Dersen, I can't imagine that there'll be... Well, you can understand what if he, you know, does keep his spot, mm. maybe Zonda comes in or Rickleton. But yeah, very, very odd. And I think it was made all the worse by the fact that England batted as well as they did and scored as many as they did mm. in that first innings because it yeah, really compounded that misery.
0: I mean, I think you mentioned this um, on play uh, inquiries at some stage, that uh, the, the, there is an incredible uh, stat at Old Trafford that no uh, team has uh, won the toss, chosen the bowl and yeah. won the game. Um, 83 tests over 138 years on that ground. <laughs> you can see uh, whether Dean Elgar knew that or not. Um, that's you know not to be argued with, is it? Um, but Miller, they, I, I'm kind of, it, it seemed like a, a, a move that had been planned well in advance. Perhaps Harmer, you've got Simon Harmer back into the setup. He's the best spinner in England, certainly. You know, in the county game, um, Old Trafford is a ground which tends to help spinners. Ergo, we're going to select him. He's got a decent record there, although you know, only about three, I think three times he's played yeah. for Essex. Um, obviously, you only put 151 on the board. That's yeah. not going to that, that, that's that not going to scupper
1: scupper it, isn't it? Because you know, you want you want to get you want to be batting into the second day, push the game into the fourth, fifth day, and suddenly you got Maharaj and Harmer. Ragging it on a on a pitch that did look like it was going to be raggable if you got as far as uh, day five, but not not even getting out of day three, mm. is is not going to help your spinners. But yeah, I mean, it, it was deeply curious. Uh, I mean, one thing that should be said about Marco Jansen' business. I mean, there is always with South Africa uh, unspoken subtext about transformation targets, and therefore, you know, if they were going to make a change, there was a difficulty in 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 that regard. I mean, one one reason why of Pavuuma for instance a massive loss to their side on so many levels just in terms of mm. freeing up the balance of the side they can they can they can play but having gone down that route um either yeah getting rid of marky Janssen was daft after after lords but you could see the logic if they had batted well and it had, and it had, and it had paid off because Simon Harmer is a fine bowler, but he 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 really let himself down. I thought in in that test. I mean, his his very first ball, um, uh, you know, I don't think I've seen him bowl a full toss for, for Essex in, in five seasons. And his first ball was a horrid, loopy full toss that gets dumped through the covers for four. And then same over, Ben Stokes <coughs> has got his got his dander up already. You know, he played measured, but his first ball against Harmer is lobbed into the into over midwicket for six. I mean, it, it set a tone that that there was no getting away from um even a bowler of, of harm has proven skill in english conditions he just looked nervous he looked nervous and cowed uh by circumstance they're part of it circumstance that you know the pressure was on to to do a role that perhaps um you know as as mentioned he he would rather have been doing two or three days later but also i mean i suppose just the pressure of first time he's 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 you know, he's played against bangladesh and i think new zealand already in his comeback but uh against England in England the place where he's really made his name um he looked nervous uh, to be honest and and um he let himself down which uh, you know you could argue that uh, it, it perhaps uh, it perhaps shows up the, the the inherent weaknesses in county cricket that you know even the best bowler in, in mm-hmm. county cricket uh, gets found out on the test level i'm sure I'm sure there are one or two um, people in Andrew Strauss's uh, review that would uh, raise an eyebrow to at that, but I just think he had a bad day, a bad test. Um I, I still think he's a quality bowler. You, you can't hoover up the wickets that he does for Essex against all manner of opponents and all manner of pitches as well, which is the other thing to consider. That's uh, you know, it's not okay, he's got 15, 15 wickets against Lancashire in three tests, three matches previously, but his record on pretty much every pitch in England is outstanding. And that includes on green tops in May and 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 damp seamers in September and everything in between. So, he'll 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 come good given given half a chance. But um, yeah, in the circumstances that he that that South Africa set up for themselves, um, it was the last thing they needed was was their second spinner just just having a such an absent game.
0: More harm than good. I think was the uh, the pun we're all searching for. Were um, <laughs> we? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Dan Liebke was for a, uh, several hours on Twitter the other day. I'll give him credit for that. Um, uh, so, uh, whether or not the the selection works for South Africa, they were in a position, or there was the possibility that this could be a sort of even sort of dog dogfight um, on first innings at one stage. Um, obviously, South Africa have got the quicks to um, uh, to exploit English weaknesses. The, the initial recovery came through Johnny Burstow and Zach Crawley, 91-run um, partnership. Uh, Crawley, you know, looked <laughs> about as enthused as a, a man trying to chew his way through a family-sized pack of Rivita while everyone else around him is having uh, steak and bourbon. But, <laughs> I mean, he did a job. Was, it, was this the match-winning sort of cameo that uh, McCullum and, and Stokes have been talking about him producing from time to time?
2: No, no, but I, I don't understand why they say it. Like, you know, McCullum and Stokes will look at me and tell you and tell you that like, I'm six foot, wouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, I, I totally understand with what the they're doing. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a hair. Um, but I'll be honest, like, I, I didn't see this necessarily as, as Crawley, you know, playing within himself and I suppose playing with that kind of purpose. I saw it as a guy who was struggling all the way through it. I think on, you know there were a lot of leading edges, edges that could have gone to hand i think there were a few times where he he went mm. to try and get on the front foot against norkia and ended up picking the ball into his own knee um it was a little bit like and this is one for the kids you know the opening scene of robocop <laughs> it was a bit I like that it well. <laughs> yeah and it's like okay you hope you can come again you know after this this is you know this is the endurance of pain and then you know you'll play on a better pitch of the oval and you'll be you'll have a bit more confidence and people will build build you up around you but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even before this, it was being part of that 100-run partnership um, in the chase against India, where it's mentioned for both Lees and Crawley as if they scored the 100. And it's just their their way of, of building them up. I wonder, if he, actually, if really, you know, being out there for as long as he as he was would have been of benefit to him. Um, mm. And I think it's particularly instructive that Crawley and Folks, two people who have, who have struggled in this, you know, in this new setup, who have struggled this summer... Ended up playing pretty important hands. You know, Crawley, yeah, to be fair to him, did tough it out. And folks, in that partnership with Stokes, mm. took the game away from South Africa and gave England a, a sizable lead. I didn't necessarily think there was a stage where they thought it would have been a, an innings-winning lead mm. until folks then batted with the tail and, and batted quite well, which is something that he struggled with in the past. So, um, yeah, you know, all in all, I think a lot of things went right, even though it was all Ben Stokes, ultimately, a lot of things around him went right, and it was the points that they were most worried about going into this test that went right.
0: Mm. Um, that that partnership, obviously, so uh, England were I think 147 for yeah um, five. Uh, so actually behind uh, four behind, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <coughs> uh, on on that first innings, obviously 173 run stand. Then you know turns the game. Um, Miller, we kind of talked about Stokes, but um, for Ben Folks, you know first 100 on home soil. He's he's already played a part earlier this summer. Um, Vish has written about him kind of finding his role within this team. Um, but, you know, a hugely, hugely significant contribution.
1: Oh, massively. I mean, it, it's it, it, he's had such a tough run of it of late, not least, you know, that, that difficulty of being the best wicketkeeper in the country, but not quite as good or as, as high-ceilinged a batsman as, as um, best of Butler in the first instance. So, obviously, push to the push to the fringes of, of selection for those reasons in the first instance and then obviously when he looks like he's going to be the man in possession slips over in the dressing room in, in the oval and, and does himself in you end up with poor James Bracey getting his horrific outing against New Zealand last time around uh, and then COVID this summer so in comes Sam Billings and keeps his place while he's re- recuperating you know everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for him in, in such randomly weird ways in, in in addition to the the obvious difficulty that the, the old stump of east stopper debate that uh i think um pat murphy was writing about in wisdom about 2001 when russell versus versus Stewart first cropped up i mean that 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 eternal debate is is not going away with with one good inning. but what's what he has done he's he's, he's got some continuity because he did start this summer pretty well i mean remember that he played a very important role in that chase at lord's right back at the start mm. of of the McCallum you know there he was a sidekick to to Root. Uh, at the time, actually, as as well when Stokes played his manic, probably hit the most mm-hmm. manic of his of his innings when he, well, he obviously got got that big let off with uh, the uh, the Grand no ball, <coughs> and then starts going berserk and 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 belts the spinner out the attack and gets his gets his fifty, and then you know it's rushing to victory, and then suddenly he gets out. And now what do you do? Do you do you carry on trying to blaze your way to victory, or do you get someone like Ben Folkes coming in and you know what? He's he's calm, he's collected, he's cool, he's got a good technique, got composure, he can nudge it around. Him and Root just just drew the sting. And and you know, again, amid all the hype of England's aggressive batting and manic displays of bravado to to win all these test matches, actually an awful lot of what they've done has been pretty (coughs) calm. Joe Root has been incredibly calm in pretty much every every innings that he's got to start in and folks likewise is coming at number seven is another calm head that' you know mitigates the the hotter heads uh, the, the besto and and Stokes in, in the middle order there so I think there is a real value to having having him a confident folks and again a confident folks is also a confident folks behind the stumps and and uh, Stokes is talking up I think seven catches and in, in the match and and uh, Barely, barely made. I think he dropped one under edge um, off the spinner at one stage from memory, but mm. nothing didn't stick that should should have stuck. Um,
0: he made an amazing one handed catch off of a ball that didn't touch anything. Yes, but it swung just really dip late, late and left yeah. him completely wrong footed. That was incredibly
2: cool, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's August in the calendar. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but no, he's 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 a, he's, a, he's um he's obviously due a run because you can't be that good at your primary function. Uh, for that long and not not be given an opportunity to to show what you can do, but his he's had a really badly interrupted tenure for reasons that have largely you know foot in the in the dressing room notwithstanding, uh, been beyond his control.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, the most important thing for him will be that he's found his own way to do it in this team because when I did this interview with him after laws, he spoke about how he was still trying to work it out. He was still you know he's not. <laughs> You know, he referenced Josh Butler and Johnny Besser. he was like, "I can't bat like them." Even someone like Rue, I don't, you know, I can't just like put a shot in my armory. I've got to try and work out how to do it my own way. And he had a lot, ended up having a lot of chats with Brendan McCullum about it because I think he thought that there was something more that he needed to do. And McCullum just kept reinforcing that, like, "No, no, you find your own way of doing it. We will let you find your own way of doing it." That's the whole point of this team. And I think the other thing he struggled with with was the fact that there's all this talk of expression. Well, it's quite hard to express yourself in a role you've never done before <laughs> you know um so even while crawley was getting all the heat i did wonder if folks was the one who internally was having a bit more struggle because he was trying to work out how to Im- express himself as a number five in a number seven role where he, he almost described it as he was basically the divide he was a, di- a divide between the bowlers and then and the batters <coughs> So when he bats with them he can kind of go about it his own way or certainly in his head that's how he thought but suddenly, when he's batting with the tail, he references one dismissal to Saudi, I think, where the ball's just hang uh, hung outside off, and he just throws his hands at it. And he's walking all the way back, thinking, "Why have I done that? I'd never do that. What was stupid thing to do?" And it's purely because I think James Anderson was at the other end, and he was like, "Oh God, yeah, I've really got, I've got to do something here." Yeah, and he ends up, you know, doing something stupid. But yeah, you know, I, it felt like this had some nourishing qualities towards that. I, I think it's keeping you can it's independent to the rest of his stuff, maybe because it's been such a hot point Mm. of focus I I don't think I use this bit in the in the interview but I asked him did it feel is it weird when you're when you were talked about when you're not in the team because you're talked about because of someone else's fault rather than your own strengths and he was like I suppose that's just the way it goes when you're a wiki keeper and and in sport generally but it never the focus was never really on what he could do it was based off the fact of what someone else couldn't do and I think now maybe there's a chance to you know without getting too much pressure from the outside in terms of competing for a spot, as it were, I think now he'll probably be able to flourish into the international cricketer he wants to be in, and therefore England need him to be. Yeah,
1: and, r- and runs are so important as well for a wicketkeeper in in so many different ways, but not least for, for folks in that, you know, even though he took seven wickets, seven catches, I think it was, in the test, I don't think he had an outstanding Test match in the way that he did when he, when he kept the gloves in, in um, India, for instance. Mm. You know, standing up on, on ragging pitches and taking some amazing stumpings and what have you. He, he really stood out as a stumper in that game. Whereas this game, he stands out as a batter. And that actually, in so many ways, the, the, the less we talk about his keeping, the less we're sort of waxing lyrical about his, his, his miraculous takes, uh, the more likely he is to take them. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It, it, you know, take the pressure off. Let him, let him score Unflustered runs by nudging the ball into the leg side eternally as the spinner turns it into his arc. I mean, it, it was such such easy pickings for a lot of that period. And you know, Harmer just seemed to seem to he seemed to milk Harmer every every step of the way. But the more he's able to do that, the more you can just take take the immaculate nature of his of his glove work uh, uh, for granted, much much like you would take an immaculate umpire for granted. It's like well, okay, he's done the right thing again. Happy days. Move on, and and the less you talk about it, the less it's an issue, and and the more you can just enjoy the excellence in retrospect, rather than having to marvel about, oh my god, isn't he Amazing know, almost geeing up the fact that we've got a proper wiki-keeper in the team. And the more you ramp up that aspect of his game, the more likely it is that'll be that day he drops a clanger as, oh my god, he's dropped a clanger, I'll oh, get him out the side, he's rubbish.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, he also I think forms part of the conversation around Dean Elgar's test, because the Nokia should have been onto him quicker. Mm. Than he was that was such a mystery, given how he played him.
0: This is a, a, after uh, in the first l- lunch on the, on the second day, yeah. yeah. And,
2: and to be fair, I, I understand you know, you can't fast bowlers can't bowl all the time. Um, felt a bit like that commentator who wants uh, wants an extra slipping but won't tell you where the other slips are going to come yeah. from. Ian Botham, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly <laughs> in both come on. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I can, I can. I'd probably have to look back at the you know how the overs were divvied out, but it really felt like a mystery. Given the pe- high pace, high quality pace, mm. it's something that he, that folk still has to work out at this moment. Yeah, to open with both the
1: spinners, it was it was it was mm. just it was just digging digging that hole. I mean, to be fair, it bloody nearly worked with with Stokes had a couple of rash swings at one each, Harmer and, and and Maharaj, and nearly lost his often leg stumps. So, you know, if a bit like a bit like some of the some of the shots he got away with at, at Lords in that fifty. If he had uh, if he got out suddenly it's a you know it's a change game. The spinners have, have outfoxed folks and uh, fox Stokes. Suddenly the the gates open. It's potentially a different game. Trouble is it wasn't. As soon as soon as he got got through that mini period, he was away, and South Africa didn't didn't change their tactics quickly enough. They they kept thinking we're going to use these two spinners because we've got to take this deep and play the game that takes the game long into you know give the chance the pitch a chance to break up i don't know what they were thinking but but it was just doubling down a really dumb decision um in the first instance and yeah the game was well out of their reach uh long before i think they even realized it Mm.
0: i think england were were handed a couple of favors then um the 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 other significant contributor um who we have mentioned, but um, Ollie Robinson made his uh, return to uh, the test team for the first time since Hobart uh, in January. Um, We've spoken a lot about him in the interim for the reasons that he wasn't making the side. Uh, Obviously, as Vish mentioned, he he was promoted to to take the new ball um, and was on for the best, none for uh, uh, (laughs) Stokes had ever seen, I think, in the first innings until he got the Anrik Norky out. Um, he took four in the second innings. Um, I mean, Vish, you, you wrote about this afterwards. Fitter, faster, the future?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think you, we could have said that when he wasn't as fit and wasn't as fast. Like, <laughs> you know, there was something about him and, you know, he showed it in Australia. Despite the fact that you think of Ollie Robinson and, and the Ashes and you think of being called out by John Lewis and the drop in pace in, you know, days four and five. But... Yeah, there was something about the way he moves the ball. I, I, I still remember this. It, it was at a time when Jamie Porter was seen as the next man in. And mm. I was speaking to a few county batters, basically trying to do a piece on Jamie Porter. And I was describing all these skills. I, I was basically talking about a Philander prototype. And to a man, they were like, well, I mean, if you, if you mean that, you mean Ollie Robinson, because he has all those skills, but he's tall and he's got a great bouncer. And I was like, oh, I just totally didn't, didn't clock this. And I think I didn't clock it because, I, you know, I've seen Ollie Robinson play, but I primarily saw him play in Division 2. Mm. And I, I suppose I always had that hang-up of thinking, oh, you know, it is only Division 2. And the thing that helped him massively, and I think the thing that helped, you know, I mentioned this in my piece, the thing that helped someone like Stuart Broad recognise that actually maybe giving him the new ball is a good idea was COVID, basically, because when they had those in large squads and he was trading with them, <coughs> everyone got a, got a chance to see him close hand. I think a lot of people had seen his numbers, mm. seen what he's, you know, heard people talk about him. It was the first time they'd seen him in the nets. And I think maybe about a week or two in, they started calling him Glenn McGrath because he didn't, he didn't you know, in Glenn, Glenn McGrath way, didn't miss a spot on length and this, that and the other. I did his Wisdom Cricketer through the Year profile and I spoke to him after Melbourne and he mentioned... You know, um, unprovoked about how he needs to be fitter, and he was also talking about you know every time he was coming back from the game, he was switching and watching the, the I can't remember who India were playing against, but India were playing a test series, and he was watching um, Muhammad Shami, and he was like, oh, I, I want to, I wonder if I can bowl like Muhammad Shami, not necessarily in terms of pace, but yeah. in terms of his approach. So he would go to the nets and practice like Muhammad Shami, mm. and I spoke to someone else about that, and they were like, he's the only person who could probably mimic someone's action. Because he has su- such great understanding about his own, so when you think about the fitness side of it, none of that has affected the other side really. There were there were, there were two broadly independent things, even mm. though obviously one feeds into the mm, other in terms yeah. of how can't, often can't do
0: the the, yeah. the technical skill side if you're yeah. not fit enough to get on the park but yeah
2: exactly yeah you know you give Mo Farah a cricket ball and let's see how he goes <laughs> 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 so I think the really interesting thing was the fact that he he mentioned this six-month period where he hasn't been playing as a bit of a blessing in disguise where he's mm. been able to work on that kind of stuff and you know just top up the bowling side of it and I thought you know it it, it would have probably been the best number for that I've seen <laughs> it was Absolutely incredible, really. And I suppose it would have been his own fault because he overstepped. <laughs> so maybe that was the only blemish on there. But, you know, he got his... He bumped up his numbers in the in the second innings, didn't he? And he, his average is still in the low 20s, if only
0: 20. Actually. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it went down even. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, it's fascinating, though, the stigma that's attached to being an unfit athlete, in, in essence, which is what, um, what seemed to be the case when, when he got thrown under the bus... Uh, in that in that test match in Hobart but I suppose on, on the one hand it should be remembered that, that you know that for all that John Lewis said said some on unpalatable truths he he did say them from a position that you know he's a guy who's a friend of Robinson's having worked with him at Sussex for a long time and I think that that also appears to be the sort of the message that the team have latched on to is that you know it's all very well being an unfit athlete it, it happens to us all. I mean, Ben Stokes, by all accounts, was was admitting as much in his chats with Robinson that, you know, I used to to train hard enough. I've had to learn how to manage my body to be what I need to be to play international cricket. And so, as you say, he's got got this 12 months to, the the, the six months period to, to let it settle in. But the messaging coming out of the England team from Stokes at the top, from Broad accepting his relegation is that, you know, the fitness side is one thing. That's something you can manage yourself, but Skills that you can bring to this team are uh, second to none. You, you've got you that the team as a whole recognised that whatever whatever Robinson achieved in in his last last year what was it, averaging twenty point twenty point not very much and against the three best teams in the world. Let's not forget, um, it counts for an awful lot. And to do that, when you know he, I think by his own admission, he he'd come from second division county cricket. He hadn't trained. To be an international athlete in the same way as you did, just being match fit by playing endless county games, it's a very different dynamic. When you're when you're honing your honing your fitness to to churn it out for a, for a test match, you have to get in the gym in between wars, which probably he didn't need to do when he was going from one county game to the next county game and then having a weekend off and then playing another county game. He's had to change his ways, and by all accounts, I think he touched 87 miles an hour in this in this test, and which was you know that's rapid. I mean, Glen McGrath. You mentioned him already, which I mean, Glen McGrath never never got much beyond that. But what Glen McGrath did get was that extraordinary ability to mm. kick the ball off a full length, that use that full height, full reach of his, and make awkward decisions from from what appear to be straightforward nudges on a full length, and suddenly it's kissing the edge of your edge of your bat and flying to the slips in a way that very very few bowlers in the world can do consistently.
0: Of course, Glenn McGrath uh, isn't what he once was. Been overtaken by James Anderson uh, uh, again, um, again. <laughs> as the uh, most international wickets by a fast bowler. Um, obviously, he's still doing it at forty. Vish and Stuart Broad, uh, we've kind of mentioned uh, how he took that um, demotion to uh, first change, and in fact, I think he was about third change in the um, second innings. Um, but he's sort of uh, embracing all this. Uh, you know, this, uh, I say mid-life reinvention. But it's, I mean, late in his playing career, um, he, he day hawked a few as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Twenty-one of fourteen balls. I mean, he he's, he seems to be, if not loving it, he's determined not to go quietly.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, and I, th- I think he is loving it because I think maybe there a Stuart Ball of the past who wouldn't have taken that line down. Bear in mind mm. when he was dropped. Yeah. During the COVID summer for that first test against West Indies, he demanded answers. He went on Sky the next day. I mean, I've never seen that before. Um, And, you know, there are previous currencies where there's been something, an issue with the management or maybe even a pundit. You know, he had that running with Michael Vaughan famously, didn't he? He's not been afraid of, you know, shouting his own corner. Uh, And I suppose, you know, fair play to him. He has every right. He's earned it, you know. Um, and then to see you know, the manner in which he stepped down, but also the way he's fulfilling this role as—I don't know—he's—he's he's not quite like playing into the cult hero status, but I think he's recognizing, or at least using, all the things that go into it and bringing them together at once. Because the Nighthawk thing is just an extension of how he's been batting. You know, I suppose since the Van Aaron thing, or rather since he stopped taking bat- batting it seriously, as you know, he as he might have you know in a previous uh, iteration. But there's an element of embracing everything about this. Yeah, bear in mind that the day the Nighthawk thing came out, he changed his Instagram profile to Nighthawk. <laughs> now that's something. I would only do something like that in the days of like MSN Messenger, where I was like, right, what well, what's my new favorite song? I'm going to put the lyrics to that on my status. Um, and there was almost a, there's like, a, I don't know, I almost find it quite childish, but in a good way. It's it's the idea that like you can enjoy things. I think cricket is this sport that takes itself too seriously and no more so than test cricket. And for someone who's been playing it for so long to be re- reinvigorated in this way. I suppose reinvention is the wrong word, isn't it? It's reinvigorated. Um, and seeing a role for himself in this side, where maybe, bear in mind how he was dropped from the side in March, along with Anderson, it felt like we were coming to the end. This suddenly feels like, oh, actually, yeah, you you want to be around. You know, Anderson and Broad talked about it before they rocked up for this series, that, you know, the eight-week gap or however long it was, sorry, six-week, five-week, however long it was, they were just like, you know, they were doing the rounds, doing media, but they're like, I, I want to get back at it. I want to get back around this group. It's so much fun. Yep. And it's um, it's it's so much more apparent than he, in him than any other the more established bears, and I include you know Root, Bester, Anderson in that. Um, and he just he just reminds. I think a lot of England fans are reminded how much fun Test cricket is when he's playing it. I mean,
1: the, the Nighthawk stuff though is is fascinating nonsense because on on so on so many levels i thought
2: you'd be all over this No, no, i I am totally all (laughs) over i
1: I mean nonsense nonsense is not about not not a bad thing nonsense is hilarious but but the point is broad you know it's the nighthawk is a reinvention essentially i'm reinventing myself as the nighthawk but essentially that's what he's done as a batsman he's actually got got himself a new identity in embracing this night hawkishness because since (laughs) Varan aaron Uh, squashed his nose he went through that period where he was terrible he was running away from the ball he he could not get into line bear in mind there was a back in the day you know i think jeffrey boycott said his back foot drive was reminiscent of sobers you know back in the day when he scored 169 in in that test at lords in 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 2010 he he genuinely looked like he was going to become a a bowling all-rounder to to to, you know rank alongside uh, hadley say i i I don't know he could have he could have he could have reached levels that that obviously getting his nose squashed changed, and there was a period when I think it was I think it was um, Shane Warne, wasn't it? He, he emulated Shane Warne's yes. approach to batting, and Warne was you know never better than in that two thousand five. I think he got that ninety odd old Trafford, didn't he? When he was retreating, <laughs> getting, keeping his head way out of line, honking the ball across the line, smacking sixes left, right, and centre. He he and Broad basically had a, had a discussion about this, I believe, and and Broad recognised that you know what this is the way to, way for me to go. Get my head where of line. Step on the square leg umpire's toes if need needs be, but trust my eye because my eye is like the eye of a nighthawk, frankly. Um, he can smoke it, and he's he has embraced he's embraced that that change of style, and the nighthawk stuff just seems to seems to reinforce it. It's like it's a bit of fun because. Of course, it's not going to come off every time, but every now and again, it will come off because he, he's still deep down, A, a great competitor, B, has got an eye that has got a top test score of 169 uh, and C, isn't finished yet. So, so why not swing for the hills? It, 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 it makes a, a lot more sense than just just a funny, uh, funny meme to, to, to whack up to amuse people
0: but it is still go. a funny bitch, yeah. <laughs> right so. it's hilarious but, but on that I, I think that's
2: a really important point you made about like oh yeah I'll just step I can step away to square leg and, and hack at hack the ball because I think it, it. to do that in international cricket you have to leave your ego at the door mm. because so much of like the machismo around the game a lot of it isn't helpful at all is the idea that you step away from fast bowling and you're a coward mm. and you know I, I think you know Broad is someone who I think it's fair to say has a decent amount of ego and the idea that he's able to park that and almost said like, I don't care what you think yes I am running away to the next side but I'm also hoying you over cows so it doesn't matter does it?
0: <laughs> it it's uh definitely all good fun um and so we we shouldn't diss the the photoshop artists out there who are making good capital on it as well they're working very hard <laughs> support your your meme workers <laughs> um well, there's one more one more instalment of the test summer to come. There's a little bit of a gap um, time for South Africa to to lick their wounds. They have a few uh, Rassi van der Dussen's out of uh, the final test with a, a broken finger. Um, may well be changes there. Um, of course, it gives us a bit of a window to focus on the hundred, uh, which comes to its uh, conclusion at the weekend: uh, eliminator and the finals. Um, Vish, Miller and and Matt thrashed this out last week, a a big uh, existential debate on on the topic, but we can't get enough of those, obviously, here. Um, Rob Key was talking during the Old Trafford Test, uh, and I think he described the 100 as as securing the future of English cricket. Uh, Obviously, it's a a very divisive topic, Um, and it seems to be outside the terms of the Strauss Review, that that there's going to be a rejig, maybe not next summer now, maybe 2024, but 100 is is um, untouchable. Uh, how, how's your experience of, the, of this second summer been? Uh, you've been to a couple of games. Um, d- has the debate cooled at all, or is it, has it actually got got worse uh, in terms of, you know, us versus them, uh, the evil incarnate, or the best thing since um, Sky first sliced bread? However <laughs>
2: the best thing since Sky re-sliced bread, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I spoke, I think at the, at the start, it felt like it died down a bit. I had quite an interesting chat with Trent Woodhill and uh, Sanjay Patel when I was covering a game at uh, Emirates Old Trafford. Um, it was just an off-the-record chat, but one of the things I brought up was, like, it feels a bit quieter. You know, it feels like the outside noise is a little bit quieter, that kind of the game is going on. And I think, in part, that was because the Royal London Cup was going on. And as soon as that broke, suddenly, you know, we got into this... I think it just started up back up again, really, didn't it? And you know, there were, there were various moments. I, th- I actually think it was set off this kind of, I suppose, the, you know, restoking of the fires. I think it was set off by Will Smith's hundred to a point because you know, when the hundred
0: immediately got credit for yeah, producing well, I mean, this, but, this, but but uh, I mean, or in some I, people's eyes, anyway.
2: yeah, I mean, I, I think it was it was abs- mm. I can't swear, can I? I? I think it was absolute trash in terms of like the conversation and the discourse being had. Bordering on quite pathetic, to be honest. I've, you know, no crime saying that, and so I kind of stayed well out of it because, you know, I do uh, I do enough rolling around in the mud on my own. <laughs> but I, re- I really, Dignity, that's what we like to see. Yeah, from our, exactly. Yeah. Our writers. Um, I just it worried about another email from HR. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really did think that it was it was quite an interesting point because it was a, it felt like a moment when you realise there's going to be a pull on the players more than ever. I think one of the things that's been overlooked in the debate about the future of the county game, which has been stated quite a few times in the Strauss review, is that a lot of this is what the players want. You know, a lot of this is what the people who take part in the game every week, every day, this is, you know, this is a change that they believe in as well. But on the flip side of that, I think the the longer the 100 has gone on, I think it's been really interesting to see people's priorities skew. And with that, I think it has lost a bit of momentum going into these latter rounds. When you've got England players pulling out, kind of understandable, totally get that. Then you've got injuries to England players. Then you've got also the situation with Reese Topley where it's not an injury, it's just preservation. Yeah. Actually, I don't need this. And someone like Reese Topley, rightly, I think, has made the decision to step out of it. But it feels like from the outside that Reese Topley has got the status to step up off the back of those white ball games because previously, maybe last summer, Mm. or rather if if last summer had been the summer that this summer was, he'd play all the way through because he needs it. He doesn't necessarily need it anymore. Mm. I think that's a really interesting thing that perhaps the window is going to sort out next year. But from the men's side of the the competition, I think it's, yeah, I really do think it's, um, it's lost a bit of something. Not helped by the fact that a team like the Welsh Fire... Have been utterly diabolical, and are made up of some of the brightest and best young English talent as well. Remember, um, in terms of the women's side, I, I think it's. I think it was a blessing in disguise that they started as late as they did because of the Commonwealth Games. Because I think they it made the men's game realize how much they want the women's game, go- how yeah. much they need the women's <laughs> game to actually have that status. Almost just just have that base level of atmosphere and excitement so that when they step on the pitch second that it's it's still there um i spoke to charlotte edwards who's the southern brave coach and um you know that interview will go up in the next couple of days but one of the things she said was the southern brave men said to her you know what we much prefer playing when you guys are playing as well because it doesn't quite feel like the same competition mm. it feels a bit blast light sometimes especially now with some of the players who've been drafted in uh, and the way that internationals have had to come in and out, it's just lost its unique appeal, I think, on the men's side. And mm. Whereas the women seems to be going from strength to strength, yeah.
0: Well, uh, of course, ECB uh, have moved Miller to put the 100 in the FTP. So some of these problems of um, players coming and going and uh, maybe uh, not being as uh, uh, being as star-studded as was envisioned maybe um ironed out. For, for me, one of the things... Um, That one of the interesting discussions, uh, we didn't get into this last week, but is to do with whether it is sort of top level sporting uh, event or it is sort of entertainment and and something for the family. And obviously, the kind of ECB would want it to be both those things. Um, There's no doubt that attendances have been good, certainly with the women's game, that the attendances are all up, although they're they're obviously intrinsically linked to the men's game because they're they're all double headers. Um, But with uh, with the men's competition, um, there seems to be this sort of pull between: is it just a bit of fluff, a bit of fun um, that everyone can enjoy uh, and will, just because it is plastered all over, uh, well, certainly all over Sky, but it's on terrestrial TV as well. Kind of that will by osmosis inspire people, or is it? I mean, I think as Trent Woodhill kind of might envision it more as a sort of cutting edge tournament where you know it's about tactics, it's about that skill at the highest level. Um, and which might conceivably benefit England's sort of T20 fortunes. Because um, this is obviously, it is T20, really. I mean, it's, it's classed as T20, but it is also not T20. It's uh, it's a different game with different nuances. Um, and we, I mean, certainly for England's kind of T20 World Cup prospects, David Milan being the leading run scorer in the competition and, and um, pinging about all over the place and, and seemingly having discovered that he can, it about right from ball one as well is a good thing. Um, you know, Phil Salt has, uh, has, has made a good case, uh, as well this year. Will Smead, you know, there are clearly talented players, um, pushing through and, and making an impact. Um, but equally, there's this sort of faint sense of drift and, mm-hmm. and, and players pulling out or going off to play in the CPL, or like this, there's Reese Topley preserving himself, um, which I think it makes it hard to really. Quantify what the hundred is doing, certainly for the men's game.
1: Yeah, I think there are two two interesting points. I think coming out of that one one is go back to the point about Welsh fire. I mean, Matt has done an excellent mm. dissection of Welsh fire's problems today, which I think David Hops made the point on, on Twitter that uh, it's it's really refreshing to read a piece that actually is is damning criticism of of tactical matters in in the hundred because all we ever hear is rah rah. I mean, even the other day I was turning over the turning over from an amazing Test match. And the first thing I hear is Kevin Beeston screaming at the top of his voice about some bog standard cover driver. It's like, whatever, KP, just turn it, turn the dial Mm -hmm. down, mate. You know, we've just had, we've had the proper excitement this weekend. This, this is the after show. You can't pretend that this is better than what we've just seen. So it's kind of nice that, nice to get a bit of a balance in this to say, that you know what, if this, if we are to judge this as a top quality competition, you've got to cut through the hike. You've got to dissect when things have gone wrong, particularly at Welsh Fire in, in, in this instance, but other, other uh, franchises not franchises are available for scrutiny um but the other the other point i suppose is as you say the the opening up of of the the pool of players and 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 making them more visible and i suppose you know for us inside the game it's it's hard to quantify but if you look across to the women's hundred again the women's hundred is so crucial for the for the balance of where the hundreds at because in the women's hundred i think it's fair to say that Even insiders in the game will will look at the list of top run scorers, scan down there, and be astonished, actually. You get to sort of number 25, 26, 27, and think, oh, yeah, that's a household name. I've I've heard of her, I've heard of her, I've heard of her, I've heard of her. You suddenly realise that, actually, all of a sudden, from from zeros to heroes, you've got a a really big roster of players who people recognise. Now, is the same thing happening in the men's 100? Are people... You know, are people recognising who Phil Salt is? Is Will Smead now a household name in a way that he wouldn't have been previously? We'd all heard of these guys before. We're, we're aware of what Joe Clark can do when he's not in terrible form <laughs> and, and all the rest of it. But is this breaking out the conversation and, and widening the pool and creating the more accessible heroes that the game needs to, to, you know, for the fans on the one hand, but also for the competition for places at England level on the other? I don't know yet i don't know for certain whether the hundreds in the men's competition has has achieved that but i do know for certain it is achieving it for the women so ask again in a couple of years time mm-hmm. and we'll probably get a better answer to that but but for the time being yeah the the most important thing i think is that it has to be judged as a quality competition and therefore has to have consequences but when it's not good enough and you know, uh, Gary Kirsten is, is in is in Matt's, Matt's um, radar for, for for underperforming one win in fourteen, I think, since since those first two wins for mm. Welsh Fire. It's not a it's not a healthy scenario when Welsh Fire of all the teams, particularly you know, they're probably the most mm. um, divisively political. Team <coughs> in the hundred is such a bottom feeder in both men's and women's competitions. You know, it's it's yes. not a, it's not a good look uh, on any level. It's quite an achievement. In so some you, ways so, you, so you've got it. You, I think that that has got to become a more accepted part of the narrative. You can't. It, it's not all about um, all about bums on seats and kids eating ice cream and and getting excited about the hype of it. Uh, if it's to be sustainable and and people to
2: care in the long term, uh, the quality has has got to uh, got got to come to the surface it's also the thing to say about the world fire it's the one team that needed to have the desired effect of the hundred because mm. it Cardiff in particular is an area that i don't think the ecb have ever gone <laughs> uh, you know it obviously is a different country but i don't think they've really properly been able to like tap into that and a lot of that fault lies with glamorgan as well but it's the it's not least because of what feels like an untapped potential in that part of the world. And also at the same time, the fact that you've managed to really irritate a team like, you know, a county like Somerset, who have such a staunch fan base, who basically have the, you know, uh, uh, I'm not too au fait with, with a lot of American politics, but there's always, is is it the Iowa caucus? Is that, that's the one you've got to get right? (laughs) (laughs) That, that that was Somerset and they were the ones who ostracized the most. Yeah. And then you've got a somewhat a venue like Bristol who'd actually be brilliant at hosting a, you know, a hundred side, given, the, you know, mm. yeah, you know, what that that place is like. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just quite demoralising when you think about it, when you think of all the effort that has gone to give them that team and how it's panned out.
0: One other um, small piece of objective criticism, which you, you, you might have heard, and Nasser is saying, I think has been good on Sky's commentary of talking about this, is it's kind of a lack of close finishes. You associate sh- shortening the format even more with sort of increasing the variability and the likelihood that you know uh, either team could win and, and, and clearly not in Welsh Fire's case, but um, I think there's only been about four or five games in the men's competition and, and maybe three or four in the women's, where it's either been sort of a f- five run margin or fewer uh, a victory or, or one within the last kind of five balls remaining. Um, so a lot of games have felt like, okay, we know where that's going from an early stage. On the flip side, um, the men's particularly the qualification has been quite competitive this year. So uh, although Trent Rockets got through to the uh, are, are secure of a playoff playoff spot after beating Welsh Fire last night, there's a four way tussle for the other two spots in the men's um, competition. Vish. So there is there is still something to get interested in at this stage.
2: Yeah, definitely, <coughs> definitely. You know, the next couple of days are going to be are going to be interesting, yeah, and ma- that might be conducive to you know to some closer games. You never know, but. Um, I, th- I think it needs to go out with a bang on Saturday, no matter who you know, who's playing in, in both finals. It feels like this needs to, especially knowing that there are certain guarantees next year, I think you'd need to give people a you know a good finish because otherwise it feels like it, the com- this particular season of the competition is just you know splattered to the end.
0: Special appearances by the Minions just won't cut it. Um, <laughs> okay, I think we've hit our running time. Over to producer Graham to make this sound good in the editing suite. Dear old Test Cricket has the weekend off in order to let the 100 kids run riot at Lord's and then it'll be back into the white stuff down in South London. We'll be across it all without fear or favour. As always, please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform. My thanks to Miller and Vish. This has been the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.